On the spirit of Europe. So, you know, those of you who follow my, my, my articles or podcasts or, or seminars, you know that recently I have taken the liking of dividing all entities for analysis purposes into body, soul and spirit. So body for me is the, the physical, the material, the stuff that weighs and takes space in space-time. They're made of atoms and electrons and, you know, the conventional matter. That is a body. Soul, to me, is the un invisible uh, but very real organization structure. So, for example, a timetable for buses is real, but it isn't really made of atoms or law. Uh, that's something that is also invisible. It is the soul of the society, but you can't really weigh laws. It, you know, if you have more laws or less, more, less laws, they, they still kind of weigh nothing. Another example of the soul plane would be, would be money. Money doesn't really exist. It's not made of atoms. It's a social contract. It's an agreement. It's a story that we uh, treat in a certain way and that we very much believe. And it organizes us, it tells us what to do, it, it gives us preferences, it many times gives us directions in life, uh, definitely direction in work in many cases. It is the soul, the bureaucracy, the, the management structure, um, the timetable, as I already said. Um, the nation, the whole idea of a nation is actually on the soul plane. Even borders are something that don't really exist in the real world, but they're very important in the imaginary world, the imaginary beings or the beings that like to live in an imaginary world that we are. So that's the soul, and now comes the spirit. Um, it's an, an entity that's sort of kind of, uh, you know, not obligatory. You don't have to believe in the spirit. In fact, many people don't, but it's just there as the component that gives direction, that gives meaning, that gives telos. Uh, it is this thing that gives you this drive in your life. It's this jouissance uh, de vivre. It's something that uh, John Maynard Keynes called animal spirits. In economics, we sort of have a tendency to blame the things that we don't understand on animal spirits and, and look at it as a sort of a oops, as a sort of a mistake of our rational minds. But I think that John Maynard Keynes meant it in quite a different way. The way he portrays it in my reading is that this is the essence of life. This is what makes life life. This is what distinguishes us from robots or from stones or perhaps animals that we have this animal spirit that animates us to go to the North Pole or South Pole or to rescue the, the princess from the dragon. Um, these are the things that actually, this spirit guides us uh, in, let's say, the most important things of life. So to me, spirit, the animal spirit is the fundamental core of human life, whereas in um, mainstream economics, it's, it's a nuisance that we would like to get rid of. Okay, so with this reading, I would like to now focus a little bit on the spirit of Europe. Now, the spirit of Europe is something that is pretty clearly obvious to everyone who follows anything. We have really kind of gotten our, our spirit 
maybe for the first time in the history of our continent, we can see the spirit of Europe exactly in the, on, in the opposition to the spirit of, um, of, of Russia, or to the spirit of totalitarian China and, and other countries that are still uh, totalitarian in the world. This is the whole idea of European uh, Union and of European spirit. So a couple of years back, I was asked by Emmanuel Barroso to put together, together with many other intellectuals from all over the world, from all different walks of life, to put together um, sort of the meaning or the reason of Europe without the economic imperative of increasing profits and making um, uh, goods more readily available and services and promoting the four freedoms, which are basically economic freedoms at the end of the day. It's the freedom of movement of capital, it's the freedom of movement of goods, and the freedom of movement of services. Those are all very businessy uh, freedoms. And the last freedom is the freedom of movement of people which at the end of the day is really freedom of movement of labor force. So uh, we in Europe have been, or Europe has been, focusing on its soul, on its bureaucracy, on, on, on the rules of capitalism, on, on proceed, proceed, proceedings and procedural um, processes. And I think we've you know, built a very, very strong soul. Uh, to, for some people, it's perhaps even too strong. And this idea that the soul overcomes the spirit, I mean the process overcoming the, the, the reason, is something that I will come back to in another podcast because this is a big topic in, in, in Kafka's readings, in Kundera's writings. Perhaps it's also the main topic of, of Christianity, perhaps even of, of Judaism, or a complaint that we hear in philosophies and in uh, belief systems very often that uh, the, 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 the law or the soul of the process has overpowered the spirit. This is something that Jesus, for example, uh, uh, you know, uh, this, this is the bone that Jesus picks with the Pharisees. You forgot about the spirit, you only focused on the soul. So anyway, back to the year 2022, where Europe is experiencing the opposite of its identity crisis. We are now clear of identity if Emmanuel Barroso ask us today to put together uh, this sort of reason of Europe outside of the economic you know, profits and, and uh, uh, economics and accountings of, of, of good and evil without any like, deeper reason for, for Europe. Today I would be able to write this really well. I think anybody, uh, maybe even school, children, school children, would be able to write about what it is. That, that this Europe is really all about. It's not, about it's not only about trade. There is a higher calling to European Union than just improving trade relationships and, and, and balances. So today I would speak about, if, if Emmanuel, Emmanuel Barroso or somebody else asked this commission again, I, now today it's pretty clear that it is the spirit that he wanted us to describe, not the soul, but the spirit of Europe. And in the history of Europe, this, this, the spirit has really not been visible. I mean, uh, we've always fought against each other, one country against the other. Then we had the First World War, which was sort of self-inflicted European war that spread all over the world. The Second World War was, in this aspect, very similar. Also, a European self-inflicted war that spread all over the world. And after that, we had 
uh, <laughs> you know, 40 years of Iron Curtain, which split Europe right in the middle. So it was really difficult to talk about the spirit of Europe. There was no such thing as a spirit of Europe, where if there was, it was in a very, very much under construction. But now, since Russia invaded Ukraine for wanting to be in European Union and wanting to not just be a European country from the body point of view, because from a body point of view, Ukraine lies completely on European soil. It is a European country, but it is not. Uh, so, so bodily, Ukraine is in Europe solely. It wants to be. It wants to have these, you know, relationship with you it wants to have the same bureaucracy it wants to have the same law it wants to have the same sort of rules the same schedule so to speak but what russia really started mining or put in was when when ukraine wanted to also join the europe and, and join the spirit of europe so not just democracy as as a, as a technical procedure but democracy as a belief system the culture the spirit of democracy rather than just the soul of democracy of you know having having elections so that they we sort of you know have the elections so today i think we can see the spirit of europe quite clearly and it is exactly the opposite spirit which is attacking it, and that is the spirit of totalitarianism that is the spirit of 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 of, of big imperial ambitions which by the way european union never had and let me just end this podcast by saying that europe the, the way would the europeans what we have developed in europe between hated and heated nations that really tortured and murdered each other worse than what we see now on the Russian uh, Ukrainian front these countries you know came into peaceful existence through the trick of trade and through nurturing the spirit of Europe and um, so just think with me if this way is useful that perhaps we are now the first generation that li ever lived on the European the body of European continent that is now developing the spirit of Europe for which we, or more precisely Ukrainians, are fighting with the totalitarian Russia. This has been your Checkmate. On the Spirit of Europe, Volume 2. So in the previous podcast, I have been speculating whether it's useful to divide entities into body, soul and spirit. Body is the physical part, the material part. Soul is the organizational structure that sort of makes a spoon a spoon. <laughs> and spirit is the purpose, the, the reason why we have a spoon. Uh, so is there a spirit of Europe and what exactly do we mean by that? Well, I think the spirit of Europe really was non-existing uh, for, for, for thousands of years. There was no such thing as, um, there was Europe as a continent, but in there, there was really no direction at all uh, that would be common or that would be noticeably common. And now in the year 2022, after the Russian invasion, I think the spirit of Europe is very clearly visible. It's visible even to um, smaller children. This is what we, or this is what Ukrainians are fighting for in our stead is the protection of the spirit of Europe. 
Now, we seem to have gained this thing that we always envied the United States of America, you know, the American dream and the American understanding of, of national identity. And I always made fun of this in my lectures a little bit. I said, you know, in America, they have Captain America. Captain America is the sort of a ubermensch uh, that is fighting the, the Nazis, but he himself look like one, looks like one, you know, he's male, tall, uh, blonde, blue eyes, very strong. And if somebody insults America, he, he hits him with a fist or her. But most likely it's a, it's a, it's a he-he fight. Now, we in Europe, we don't have a Captain Europe. We don't, we don't have these superhero figures. We have, you know, Kundera. We have, <laughs> uh, we have Kafka. And I think Kafka is the nice uh, image of a European hero. You know, slightly confused, oppressed by its own bureaucracy, uh, experiencing a loss of um, uh, reason. But there is so, there's so much bureaucracy, there's so many processes that overpower him so that the spirit is eventually lost. I think this is the sort of the, 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 the core of Kafka uh, in all his stories for me. So Europe is an interesting place because Americans sometimes make fun of us saying, okay, you know, what's the phone number that I dial if I want to talk to Europe? Well, my point today is that we in Europe are actually, I would even maybe provocatively say, a little bit more advanced because we don't need a leader. We don't want a leader. We have bad experiences with leaders, with strong leaders. You can see what's happening in Russia with one man really controlling all this, all this, all this crazy murder machine is because of one, one, one very clear uh, leader who has no opposition, who has no feedback, who doesn't even go to the internet. Um, uh, it's just one man show in the whole Russia, in, including Belarus and some other countries are just, and, and, and previously Ukraine, are just this, some, what we call in academia, that the king has two bodies. This is the second body of the king of Putin, um, the whole Russian empire, with all its allies, do exactly as one man wishes. Now, opposite and contrary to that, we have, we have Europe where we don't have a single leader. Uh, we somehow go in a similar direction, leaderless. Now, to me, that is the higher uh, organization or higher level of entity or higher level of complexity, a complexity that can self-organize itself. A little bit, you know, like in our body, of course, there is the leader, let's say the brain, but otherwise all the, uh, all, the, all the molecules of a healthy body go in the same direction. They try very hard, all the atoms and all the electrons, even though they have no knowledge of me, they don't know anything about Thomas Sedlicek, they don't know anything about, um, uh, I don't know, the things that I do, the atoms and the electrons and the molecules, but they all try very hard to keep me keep me alive and most of these processes like I don't know chewing or uh, growing nails or bones or marrow uh, they are, are outside of my control I don't even know about them and if I wanted to control them it wouldn't really help much because uh, I, I guess only very highly trained Buddhist monks can uh, alter their heart rate or uh, you know some of the uncontrolled processes that's happening in the body so we have Europe that is leaderless, and to me that is one step 
further than, let's say, in the United States of America. <clears throat> I've lived in <coughs> Switzerland, where my wife comes from, for, for a couple of uh, months now. So I've been noticing their system, and, and their system is unique even in Europe, since if you want to torture one of your Swiss friends, ask him or her what's the name of their current president. And, and they actually do have one, but nobody, <laughs> nobody really remembers their names because they're trying everything they can to kind of have him irrelevant because they don't need a person to tell them what to think and where to go. They sort of believe that they're advanced enough to do that themselves they just need someone to open the schools on the first day of school and they need someone to you know um, say happy christmas for christmas <clears throat> but they or they don't really need uh, a leader because they sort of lead themselves i think a family where everyone goes in the same direction and, and without a leader is a better family where there is one person who who, who dictates and leads everything. So um, the, the reason for this podcast, volume two, is to say that to be leaderless doesn't mean that we're not going in the same direction. Our system is extremely strong. And the fact that it does not have one clear leader, and if yes, then very limited in, in, in uh, time and also very limited in, in power and responsibility, this is something that we have been very much afraid of uh, because of our history. So our leaderless situation speaks very highly of the spirit of Europe. The spirit of Europe, which is invisible, of course, it's even less visible than the soul structure of Europe. But the spirit of Europe is really the difference between us and Russia, uh, where or any other continent uh, where we believe in, in, in freedom, in tolerance, in protecting the weak, in uh, trying to solve our problems bureaucratically or diplomatically, in respecting the borders of nations and in actually doing economic evangelization and democratic evangelization by persuasion and never by, by force. This is the European spirit, and I think the fact that we are able to perform such magnificent treats without leadership and, and, and changing leadership in, in countries. I mean, Angela Merkel has been with us for a long time, but in other countries, leaders change after a couple of years. This is also something quite fantastic, uh, and yet we are developing a much stronger system than a system of one leader, which, you know, on the paper, one would say that a leader, uh, a boat with one decisive leader is more efficient than a boat of fools where everyone can do whatever they wish. But thanks to the kindness of nature, we are much powerful, much more powerful, even without a leader than a country with a very, very, very strong leader. This has been your checkmate.